लविंग साईराम एंड ग्रीटिंग्स फ्रॉम प्रशांति नीलेम लास्ट टाइम आई गेव यू अ ग्लिम्स ऑफ सम ऑफ द राइट्स एसोसिएटेड विथ वैदिक मैरिज मैरिज आई रिमाइंडेड यू वॉज सीन इन दोज डेज एज एन एक्ट दैट रिलेटेड टू द सस्टेनेंस ऑफ धर्मांड ऑफ ह्यूमैनिटी इन दिस वेंचर द हजबेंड एंड द वाइफ were joint stakeholders this is an important concept and we should make some effort to absorb its essence these days all such thinking might seem irrelevant and even nonsensical but the ancients had a different view of life and society yes if the emphasis is entirely on the individual and his so called liberty to do as he or she pleases then all these vedic concepts would appear outdated on the other hand if we feel that humans must be in total harmony with their surroundings then the vedic concepts do acquire great importance the rigveda sings the praise of a harmonious couple thus husband and wife in sweet accord give milk to the gods and press and strain the soma they acquire a plenteous store of food they come united to the altar their rewards never lessen they do not wander from the gods or seek to hide their favors granted thus they acquire great glory with sons and daughters at their side they live a good long span of years both decked with precious gold devoted to sacrifice gathering wealth they serve the immortal and honor the gods united in mutual love that is from the rigveda one unfortunate thing that has happened in recent times is that the modern generations view of the vedas and vedic customs has been shaped entirely by what happened subsequent to the early vedic period it was in that later period that many aberrations crept in masking the original intentions of the vedic seers few realize that systems and organizations often start off splendidly but later suffer atrophy this happens whenever people get cut off from the original objectives such degradation has happened again and again in history in organizations in social systems and also in governments it has happened all over the world however where people have been very watchful systems have retained their original character for extended periods of time i am mentioning all this with good reason there is a popular belief in india that the vedas explicitly prohibit women from doing many things this is not true in vedic times the husband and wife had equal rights In fact Swami sometimes narrates a story relating to King Harishchandra to stress this point I won't go into the whole of the Harishchandra story though it is very important as well as fascinating My interest in that story in the present context is very limited Briefly speaking you may recall that King Harishchandra was being put through a series of grueling tests by sage Vishwamitra to see if the king really abided by satya that is truth in one incident 
the king is forced to give away all his property to the sage when the king prepares to formally hand over the sage stops him and says you can't give it away just like that your wife has 50% share and she too must consent what i'm driving at is that the family was a joint venture and not what it became later a patriarchal one swami often talks about education for life rather than just a living in a sense that is exactly what the vedas offer education for life the thousands and thousands of hymns cater to all aspects of life keeping in mind the centrality of god society can never be made up of just geniuses ordinary people are very much needed for the existence of society without them society just cannot function and these ordinary people by their very nature and outlook cannot be expected to understand high philosophy yet they do need a code of life suited to them but based on the highest principles thus it is that there are vedic prayers for everybody and for every occasion let us start with the house the craving for a house has been there from time immemorial in vedic times the house was seen as an extension of the body rather than as something that was a property that belonged to a particular person the house was considered to be the first real extension of man's world to take leave of the house was to take leave of the world thus it is that the ascetic or sanyasi who renounced the world left the house forever as a symbolic gesture the hymns in the vedas in dedication of the house are many here is a sample that gives the feeling that prevailed when a person occupied the house he has built he says in invocation with the assistance of a priest of course this house is founded on worship designed and built by the wise may indra and agni the immortals protect this house the abode of soma notice that the house is not described as the property of the one who built it but as the house of soma one of the many names of shiva the vedic prayer continues facing you o house who are facing me i approach you peacefully sacred fire and water are within the main doors cosmic order i bring here these waters free from disease destroyers of disease in this house together with fire immortal i take up my abode from the eastern direction i summon a blessing to the glory of this house praise to the gods the praiseworthy forever and forever from the southern direction from the western direction from the northern directions from the depths below from the heights above i summon a blessing to the glory of this house praise to the gods the praiseworthy forever and forever god is always the sole provider and the vedic seers made sure that ordinary people were continuously reminded of that fact through various prayers chanted on various occasions for example here is a prayer to god for a long and happy life that everyone aspires for this prayer is addressed to the rudra aspect of god 
We need not go into the technicalities, but for our purpose, it is enough to say that Rudra is synonymous with Lord Shiva. A selection of hymns from this prayer to Lord Shiva follows. O Father of storms, may your favor fall on us. Do not deprive us of the sight of the sun. May the hero mounted on his charger spare us. Grant us, O God, to live forth in our children. How I long, O God, for the gracious touch of your hand, which heals and brings refreshment, which softens the chastisements of the gods. Regard me, O mighty one, with an indulgent eye. As a son salutes with reverence his father, so I bow down, O God, at your approach. I praise you, mighty Lord, giver of treasures. Grant us your medicines when we extol you. O mighty power, the God who never slumbers, be here attentive, O Lord. Hear our cry. Not for you, O God, to be angry or destroy. May we speak as men of valor a strong word. Now, desire is a part of existence and no living creature is exempt from desire. Some desires are built in, like the desire for survival, for example. Feelings of thirst, hunger are so intimately connected with life that one does not discuss these instincts in terms of desires. But desires there certainly are, like the desire for progeny, desire for house, desire for property and so on. While those spiritually evolved can break free from desires, it is impractical to expect the ordinary folk to do so, including those who have studied the Vedas. Recognizing this, Vedic society sought to regulate desires rather than to totally eliminate them. This regulation was recommended through the Purusharthas, to which Swami often makes a reference. The four elements of the Purusharthas are Dharma, Artha, Kama and Moksha. They mean righteousness, wealth, desires and liberation. Note that the starting point is Dharma. What it means is that whatever it is that one does in life, it must be based on Dharma. No exemptions from that. Wealth one may seek, but within the bounds of Dharma. Desires one might have, but again within the bounds of Dharma. And if Dharma is made the beacon of life, then one can aspire for liberation from the recurring cycle of birth and death. The constant stress on Dharma is noteworthy. Scholars tell us that there is really no such thing as Hinduism in the sense one has say Judaism or Christianity or Islam etc. The word Hinduism in fact came into existence only after the advent of the British. What is popularly referred to as Hinduism is actually a way of life that is called Sanatana Dharma meaning essentially timeless and eternal Dharma. Within a basic framework, Sanatana Dharma offers considerable flexibility. It is also noteworthy that while most religions have a founder, Sanatana Dharma has no human founder. Let me now turn to food. The importance of food for life and existence was fully recognized by the Vedic seers and food was thus revered in the Vedic age as the gift of God. 
Not merely that, all aspects of human activity associated with the production of food were duly sanctified and all agencies of nature that assist in food production were also duly revered. Here is a sample of the hymns chanted at the time of ploughing the field. The hymns are addressed to Chetrapati, the lord of the field. This is how the hymns go. We, with the lord of the field as the friend and helper, obtain for our cattle and horses food in plenty, that they may be well fed. May the lord graciously grant us his favour. O lord of the field, like a cow yielding milk, pour forth us copious rivers of sweetness, dripping honey like nectar and pure as ghee. May the Lord grant us mercy. Plough and ploughshare, to our chant be propitious. Take of the milk you have made in heaven and let it fall here on earth. Auspicious furrow, we venerate you. We pray you, come near to us to prosper and bless and bring abundant harvest. In contentment, may the ploughshares turn up the sword. In contentment, the ploughman follows the oxen. Celestial rain, pour down honey and water. Ploughshare and plough, please grant us joy. There is in many cultures a thanksgiving prayer after a bountiful harvest. But the people of Vedic times chanted a prayer even as they were ploughing. Let me now turn to rain. If there were no rain, life on earth simply cannot exist. Rain was personified as the god Parjanya, and many are the verses in the Vedas that sing the praise of Parjanya. Parjanya is adored, venerated, and also feared. He can be gentle and also fearsome. Parjanya has to be propitiated appropriately because without him, life is not possible. Here are some verses sung in praise of Parjanya. Invoke with this song the powerful God, the renowned Parjanya. Win him by your worship. Like a bellowing bull with quickening streams, he deposits a seed of life in the plants. He flattens trees and smites the demons. The whole world fears his powerful stroke. Even the innocent flee from this God's strength when Parjanya thundering strikes the wicked. Like a driver urging with a whip, we see him driving his heralds of storm. From afar is heard the roar of the lion when Parjanya makes the heavy rain clouds. The winds burst forth, the lightnings flash, the plants shoot up, the heavens stream, the sap surges up every stem when Parjanya quickens the earth with his seed. You, at whose bidding the earth bows low, you, at whose bidding the hoofed creatures scamper, you, at whose bidding the flowers don various colors and shapes, O Parjanya, grant us protection. Gladden us, O storm god, with rain from heaven. May the stallion emit his life-producing flow. Bring here your thunder and pour forth the rain. You are divine, our heavenly father. Rain is no doubt necessary, but too much rain also can be a problem. So there is a special appeal when the downpour is excessive and it goes like this. You have poured down the rain. Now withhold it, we pray you. You have made the deserts fit for travel. To serve as food, you have made the plants flourish. Receive from us in return grateful praise. 
This is just one example from the vast collection that the Vedas represent. Every gift of God is respectfully acknowledged. Poets have written about rain and storm. But one does not hear of thanksgiving to every aspect of nature in this vein. At least from the poets. I may be completely wrong, but till today I have not come across any adoration in any other culture that matches that which can be found in the Vedas. It is amazing, nothing good or auspicious was ever done without first propitiating the gods. Mercifully, at least some of these customs have survived to this day. When a child is born, there is a remembrance of the Lord and prayers are addressed to him. I have already made a reference to this in an earlier talk. There are similar expressions of gratitude at every stage in the child's life. For example, when it is given a name, when it is given the first morsel of solid food, when it is taught the first alphabet and so on. When a house is built, there is a ritual called the Bhumi Puja at the time the ground is broken. Likewise, when the house is completed and is to be occupied, there is a similar ritual involving thanksgiving. So on it goes. Today's skeptic might argue, all this might have been okay in, in an age when we did not understand the forces of nature, but they are clearly meaningless in today's world. Such a view would stem basically from the negation of the Creator. Swami says if there is a watch, there surely must have been a watchmaker. If a small thing like a watch needs a maker, does it not follow that the universe too must have a creator? Could it have popped from nowhere just like that? We see here a fundamental difference in the outlook of people of modern times as compared with people of the Vedic era. Modern outlook is largely analytic, where the whole is seen in terms of parts. The Vedic approach is just the opposite, being entirely holistic. Everything, man, nature, etc., is seen as an integrated whole with God in the center. God is thus not only central to everything but most essential also. Anything or any activity without God was just inconceivable in those days. Consider, for example, how breath was venerated. Breath, we all know, is synonymous with life and life is a gift of God. Yet, where else can one find a celebration of breath except in the Vedas? Here are a few hymns in praise of breath. Praise to the breath of life, he rules this world, master of all things on which all things are based. Praise to you the breath of life, breathing both in and out, to your turning this side and to that, to the whole of you, praise. Breath of life clothes all beings with care, as a father his son, master of all things, whether they breathe or not. Of all that is born is he the Lord, of all that moves is he the Lord. Of swift bow like the rest, to you, O breath of life, homage. Breath of life, do not forsake me, you are indeed I. Like the embryo of the waters, I bind you to me so that I may live. Panikkar, whose work, let me remind you, is what I am basing these talks on, says that the phrase, you are indeed I, 
is an echo of Upanishadic philosophy that the individual is in fact God. This is an important point. Life is God and when prana is equated with the self, it means that the self is God. Let me next consider time. St. Augustine says, I know what time is but I cannot describe it. A modern physicist would describe time as one of the four dimensions of space-time. But for people of the Vedic age, time was verily God. Here are a few verses in praise of time. In time is consciousness and life. In time is concentrated name. By time, when he draws close at hand, all creatures with gladness are filled. In time is energy. In time the highest good. In time is the holy utterance. Time is the Lord of all that is, the Father, He of the Creator. Time created the creatures. Time created in the beginning the Lord of the creatures. From time comes the self-existent. Energy likewise from time derives. The above verses are taken from the Atharvana Veda. Now a couple more from the Maitri Upanishad, once again on time. From time all things emerge, from time they advance and grow, in time too they come to rest, time is embodied and also bodiless. It is time that cooks all created things, in the vast cauldron of his great self. In what however is the same time cooked? He who knows this knows the whole Vedas. With today's scientific knowledge, we may pick holes here and there in the above verses. But no one can take away the fact that the ancients revered time as God and also understood that time itself was a creation of the Absolute God. Is it superposition, superstition, stupidity? So it would appear from today's perspective. But from the holistic point of view that dominated Vedic life, such adoration and acknowledgement represented the highest wisdom. I now come to death and the last journey. There are any number of mantras and rites associated with death scattered across the Vedas. They have all evolved over centuries and they reflect the attitude at various points of time in history. Panikkar says that in the Vedic mantras chanted during the funeral, there is no sign of grief. The hymns are markedly sober in tone. There is no regret. And death is seen as an event that unites the dead person with his forefathers. Here is a sample of such hymns. Proceed, proceed along the ancient pathways whereon our forefathers have passed before us. There you shall see God, Varuna and Yama, the two kings, rejoice in the offerings. Meet Yama and the fathers in the highest heaven, along with your offerings and praiseworthy deeds. Rid of imperfection, seek again your dwelling and assume a body bright with glory. As can be seen, the phrase and assume a body makes a clear reference to rebirth. Here are some hymns that make rebirth more explicit. Your spirit which has gone far, to Yama, son of Vivaswat, may it return to you again, 
that it may live and dwell here. Your spirit which has gone afar to heaven and earth, may it return to you again, that it may live and dwell here. Your spirit which has gone afar to the four corners of the earth, may it return to you again, that it may live and dwell here. Your spirit which has gone afar to the four directions of space, may it return to you again, that it may live and dwell here. Your spirit which has gone afar to the waves of the ocean, may it return to you again, that it may live and dwell here. Your spirit which has gone afar to the farthest realms, may it return to you again, that it may live and dwell here. The Satapatha Brahmana also views death as a mere prelude to birth. It says, Of a truth, man is born three times over. First, he is born from his mother and father. He is born a second time while performing the sacrifice that is his share. He is born a third time when he dies and they place him on the fire for proceeding to a new existence. Therefore, they say, man is born three times. The question might be asked, all these hymns seem to focus on rebirth, whereas the highest Upanishadic truths direct attention to immortality, freedom from birth. Isn't there a contradiction? Well, this is a valid point and maybe I shall start my next talk on that note. Let me see. For the present, let me hope that I have to some extent at least managed to give you a broad brush overview of the Vedic heritage guided by Panikar's monumental work. Thank you for listening. Jai Sai Ram. Om Yetre Saptaf Parijante Vishwaropane Vibhradaha Vajaspadar Balate Shantanvo Adhyadadhatume Punarehe vajaspade deve namanasa saha Vasaspade nidamayamaye vastumaye shrutam Iheva bhivitano bhe artne ivadjaya Vajaspade nidachatumaye vastumaye shrutam Upahoto vajaspadirupasman vajaspadirkvajatam Samshrute nagame mahimashrute naviradishi Vidmasarasya pitaram parjanyam bhoridhayasam Vidmashvasya mataram prachivim bhore varpasam Jyake parino namashmanan tanvangradhe Vedurvare yora dera padvesham syagradhe